Well, grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It's quite amazing how quickly things have escalated in our world in the last week. Actually, I thought I was all finished with this sermon on Thursday uh, when, I was, when I was done for the day, and even since then, uh, many things have even changed and continued to unfold and unravel and change very quickly as we see the precautionary and responsive reactions to this reality of this virus called COVID-19. It's all over in the world. It's all over in your minds, this thought of this disease. And I wish that I didn't have to talk about it today, but I know that for many of you, the reality is at the front of your minds. And so for that fact, I am going to bring and preach Jesus right into the midst of this today. But before we do that, let's begin in prayer. Would you please join me? Dear God, you are God. You are good. All things are in your hands, and in you there is no fear. In you there is no darkness. In you we have sight to see your love and your light and your life, regardless of what the world throws at us. Jesus, give us clear sight today to see you as you really are. Amen. Now, I know that there are many who are worried. I don't know if the ones of, of you who are here gathered today are the worried ones or not, but I, I think it is a reality. There are many people who are worried, uh, many people who are afraid. Uh, frankly, some of you might be frustrated even. When I thought I was done with this sermon on Thursday, at least at, at that time, the, the only ones of you whose worlds were really turned upside down were, were those of you who attend Michigan Tech and work at Michigan Tech. But even since then, many of you, your lives have been turned upside down. Uh, those of you who have young children at home or teachers in the local schools, right? We, we just don't even know, and many of your jobs are implementing different processes and strategies. It seems that this is inescapable, and we don't even know what the yet-to-come ripple effects are of all of this uh, disease and closures and so on. We just don't know. And so when we don't know things, when there is uncertainty, where do we go as Christians? We go to the one thing that is certain. We turn our eyes to Jesus. We turn our eyes to Jesus. And so today, we're going to continue pressing on as a church in our Lenten series through the Gospel of John because this is where we need to be and this is what we need to proclaim and live for the sake of a fearful and worried world. So again, we're continuing on in the Gospel of John. If you brought your journaling Bible with you, we're in John chapter 9 today. And in John chapter 9 today, here's what happened. Jesus saw a man born blind. And when Jesus approached that man born blind, he spat in the dirt and he made mud and he put it on the man's eyes and he said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man did, and he came back, and what happened? He came back seeing. 
He came back seeing. Do you see here the authority that Jesus has even over sight? Jesus has the authority to heal. Don't take that for granted. Jesus has the authority to heal. In John chapter 10, that was also part of our reading today, Jesus says, I have authority even over life and death itself. Jesus has the authority to heal. Jesus heals. And and here today in John, it says that the man's eyes were open and he could see. So we see that Jesus has the authority to give back physical eyesight. But what we also learn in John chapter 9 is that Jesus has the authority to give people spiritual sight. From spiritual blindness to spiritual sight. Now what does that mean? Well, Jesus is talking to people, these Jewish leaders in the city of Jerusalem in John. He's got lots of conversations with them. And basically, he's making the point to them that they're spiritually blind. When you do not acknowledge that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is God in the flesh, if you don't see Jesus for who he is, Jesus says you're spiritually blind. What does it mean to be spiritually blind? It means that you don't know that there is a God who is far and above all of the dangers of this world. Those who are spiritually blind think that this is all there is. They think this is all there is. They don't know or they flat out deny that there is a God who is far and above all things. But what we see Jesus has the authority to do is to Open up the eyes of the blind to see Jesus for who he really is. And when you have Jesus' eyesight and you have spiritual sight, you realize that the dangers of this world, that that's not all that it it is. There is more to the story. When we have spiritual sight, we recognize that the dangers of this world are just simple. Because we recognize that there is a God who is far and above it all. And we know this because Jesus is proving it to us with his ability and his authority to restore the sight of the blind and his authority even over death itself. And so, when we have spiritual sight, what we recognize is that we will see Jesus for who he is, but then what Jesus also enables us to do is also to see the feeble attempts of the evil one who is constantly trying to draw us away from our true Savior, Jesus. In John chapter 8, if you've got your Bible with you, you can turn here. John chapter 8, this section between verses 39 through 47, John chapter 8, verses 39 through 47, Jesus is having a conversation with the Jewish people. And even specifically here in verse 44, Jesus says to these Jews that their father is the devil. Those are strong words. Jesus says to these people who are spiritually blind, who don't recognize who Jesus is, he says, your father is not God. Your father is the devil. And who is the devil? The devil is the father of lies. And he has been the father of lies since the very beginning. Many people 
Many people are being affected by the evil one. And what does the devil do in his lies? What, what, is the, his, his, what does he excel at? He excels at lying to us, getting us to believe that God is really not in control and that we ultimately are. And so what the devil does is he excels at not only lying, but also driving people to a state of fear. The devil excels at driving people into a state of fear. Because what happens when people fear? Often we forget. If we fear, we forget who God is. If we are afraid, it means that we are lacking that trust that God's actually got it. So the devil is a master at lying, at deceiving, and at driving people to fear. But when our eyes are opened and we see Jesus for who he really is, we will see that Jesus is in control. When Martin Luther was alive, in the 1500s, the bubonic plague had been ravaging Europe for over 200 years already. Yeah? If you don't know this history, go and look it up. It's devastating. All of Europe, for, for hundreds of years, from the 1300s to the 1600s, the bubonic plague was ravaging, and it would pop up, and then it would go back down. On August 2nd, 1527, the bubonic plague finally hit the town of Wittenberg where Martin Luther and his family lived and worked. And this plague was deadly. I don't think we're dealing with the bubonic plague right now. This was a nasty deal. And there in the city of Wittenberg, uh, the, the only thing in Europe at this time that people did in order to not get the plague was most often they would flee the crowded cities and go to the countryside to get away from the crowds. Well, when the plague struck Wittenberg, Martin Luther and his wife Katie, who was pregnant at the time with their daughter Elizabeth, they decided not to flee but to stay put, and they opened up their homes to take care of the sick and the dying. At this time, though, another pastor, a pastor by the name of uh, Johannes Hess, who uh, was a pastor in Breslau, which is now in uh, modern-day Poland, uh, on behalf of a number of other pastors and churches, wrote to Martin Luther and they said, Luther, uh, what should we do about this plague? What is the Christian response to dealing with the plague? We've got people who are saying they just want to flee and go take care of themselves. We've got people who are saying, I don't care what happens to me. If I die, then that's God's will for me. We don't know what to do, so what should we do? So they wrote to Luther and Luther finally wrote back to them and he, he wrote this open letter, which was titled, Whether One Should Flee from a Deadly Plague. And in it, he addresses, I think, many of the same concerns that a lot of people have in our world today. He, he basically addresses the question, you know, should we flee? Should we quarantine? Should we just take care of ourselves? Should we put our lives on the line for the sake of the dying and the infirm? Should we just not care and accept a death warrant if, if that's what God wills? What should we do? And so Luther addresses all of these questions. And, and uh, the whole article, the whole letter is a very well-reasoned and well-balanced 
uh, letter. He doesn't openly condemn anyone for their decisions. He just provides a great theological basis. Actually, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, I send out a Monday email. I'm going to include the entirety of this letter. If you're bored over the next three weeks and don't have anywhere to go, you can uh, read it. It's not that long. But I want to I share with you this one quote that Luther says, which maybe you find applicable today. Luther stated this, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me and I have done what he has expected of me. And so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and it does not tempt God. It's a very balanced approach, I think. Luther is basically saying, be wise. Take care of yourself. Stay healthy. Try not to get other people sick. But above all else, above all else, love God and love your neighbor above yourself. This is what Luther is saying when he says, I'm not responsible for my death or anybody else because he's saying, if God comes and finds me only taking care of myself and neglecting my neighbor in need, that will not be a good thing. So Luther is saying, I will love my neighbor boldly above myself. Do you realize how countercultural this is, though? This is truly countercultural, especially in a world of professional medicine, in a world of sanitation, in a world which you might claim understands how diseases spread better than <laughs> Luther did, but in a world in which people are fighting over the last roll of toilet paper <laughs> to love your neighbor over yourself. It's truly a countercultural statement, but I believe it's one that Jesus proclaims as well. But in all of this, you know, I, I don't think there's any expectation uh, from me as pastor, from the, from the church. Uh, we don't have any expectation for you to respond to what's going on in our world in any sort of specific way. I believe God has given you a faith to trust in him and a wisdom to discern what is right and good for you and for your family to the best of your ability. And we trust in that wisdom and prayerful discretion. Yet in all of these things, you know, we do have some realities at play here. We've been commanded by God to uh, submit to the authorities above us. <laughs> you know, so even as a church, there comes these times where we need to respect and honor the wishes of the government who has been established in this place. And at the same time, we've been called uh, to, to take care of ourselves, to uh, try to stay healthy, to drink lots of water. <laughs> and at the same time, to love and to serve our neighbors boldly, risking ourselves for their sake. And so all of these things are at play. So how will we know what is right and good at any one time? I would say it like this. We look to Jesus. We pray to Jesus. And we trust in the wisdom of God given to us in Jesus to see him for who he really is. 
We know that Jesus is the promised Son of God who came into this world to heal the sick, to give sight to the blind, to give hearing to the deaf, to make the lame walk and to raise the dead. We know it and we believe it because we've seen with our very own eyes who Jesus is. He is our life. He is our light and in him there's no darkness at all. When we turn our eyes to Jesus, we will see him clearly. So for that, I want to invite you to do something with me right now. This is a dangerous uh, task. I see some of you are already doing it, but I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. <laughs> Go ahead. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. And just, let's just be for a minute. Just close your eyes. Keep your eyes closed. But on the count of three... When you open your eyes, I want you to open them and look directly to the cross that's in front of this church. Ready? One, two, three. Do you see who Jesus is? He is the one who came into this world, humbling himself and becoming obedient, even to the point of death even death on a cross. And as you sit here today, you sit here as people who are fully forgiven, fully alive, fully filled with the gifts of eternal life because not only did Jesus die for you, but Jesus did not stay on the cross. He rose from the dead. Our Savior lives. Our Savior lives. He has authority not only over physical blindness and physical sickness. He has authority even over death itself. Our Jesus lives right now, ruling and reigning over all things in heaven and on earth and under the earth. You do not worship a small dead God. You worship a God who is big and who is alive and has power over all things now and forever. But just because we believe that it is true that Jesus is alive, it doesn't always mean things are going to be great. It doesn't mean you're going to be rich. It doesn't mean you're not going to get sick. It doesn't even mean you're not going to die. All those things likely will happen. Not the rich thing, but all those other things will likely happen unless Christ comes first. But when we believe in Jesus and our eyes are open to see him for who he really is, none of that really matters. Because when we have spiritual sight, our hope is so much greater. And the man born blind knew this. I don't know if you saw this. We, we had to stop our reading. But if you continue on in John chapter 9, uh, when that man born blind was healed, he, he got dragged into this a uh, whole like testimony thing. He became a pawn in the Jews' scheme to get Jesus executed. His family got dragged in, right? But finally, that man confessed a faith in Jesus Christ. And John tells us that at this time, those who were confessing a faith in Jesus Christ, they were kicked out of the synagogue. They weren't allowed to be there anymore. And so this man born blind, his parents, they, they left him on, on, on his own. They said, 
he can answer for himself. We're not going to get kicked out of the synagogue. And that man said, I believe in Jesus. So you know what they did? They threw him out. He was, he was thrown out, cast out of the community. He had been a beggar and a blind man his whole life, and now he's cast out. He doesn't have anybody. What's he supposed to do? You know what happened next? Jesus found him. Jesus went to him, cast out. Jesus finds the lost and the lonely and the broken and the downtrodden and the cast out, and Jesus comes to them. And Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And that blind man said, tell me who he is so I can. And Jesus says, I who am speaking to you am he. And there that man truly had his sight restored. See, when we turn to Jesus, Jesus becomes our sight. Jesus becomes our everything. And when we have spiritual sight in Jesus Christ, here are some of the things that change in our lives. When the world is afraid, we have hope. When the days are cloudy, we still see the light. In the midst of warfare, we strive for peace. When we are harmed or offended, we offer grace. When we and our neighbor are in need at the same time, we offer to help our neighbor in need. When we are ill, we praise the one who gives us life. And when we are dying, we die in peace. For we know that eternal life is already ours in Jesus. This is true. All of it. Today our Old Testament lesson was Psalm chapter 46. A very appropriate reading for today. It's one of my favorite psalms to read with people in troubled times. I just read it at the bedside of a dying woman at the Omega House last week. I think it's appropriate for us to hear these words again, and frankly, let's just read them together. Would you read Psalm 46 with me? We'll put it up on the screen. Let's read. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. And the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I just want to remind you that my job as pastor literally means to be shepherd. And so I want to remind you that my job in all of this, all the time, is to tend to the sick and care for the dying and be with the grieving. So nothing changes here. This is my promise to you as pastor that no matter what, I'll walk with you through the storms of life. Even when it seems that everything that's immovable in this world 
might be tipped upside down like the mountains. God says, I'm here for you. And Jesus, our good shepherd, will be with us no matter what, leading us beside those streams of living water to the life everlasting. So as you go this day, lean on Jesus. Lean on Jesus. Rest in him. He is our fortress, our refuge, our strength, and ever-present help in times of trouble. Don't let your eyes be blinded by the fear and the worry of this world. Open them up. Look at the cross. Look to Jesus. Delight in the gift of everlasting life that he has promised you even today. Be at peace. Be at life. For you are alive in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.